Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Hi, welcome to uh, Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, I have the great pleasure today of uh, Michael Glinter. Welcome, Michael. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. Good to see you. Very good to see you. I've, I've, I've spoken to you before on your podcast, but I've never saw you. Obviously, I know what you look like, but it's great to see you uh, in a visual sense. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, you are a professional leadership, staffing and career consultant and You've got an amazing stat here. Since 1999, this may have changed. You've placed over 3,700 employees all around the globe um, and assisted thousands of candidates through rebranding of their resume, uh, retooling their LinkedIn, social media platform support, and career coaching, which I think is an outstanding uh, achievement over that 21 years. Uh, you're also an author and also a podcast host of The Offer. Uh, so welcome to, to the show. And as I ask always my, my guest is what do you love about what you do well you know i think the thing for me is creating a marriage between a company and a candidate you know a lot of people don't realize that you know it's not just what can the candidate do for the company what can the company do for a candidate but it's how they can collaborate together to grow and I think that that's what really empowers me. Um, mm. I, I did staffing for 21 years. Uh, companies hired me to find people, but I made it a mission to make sure that the people that I was placing with the companies I was placing them with, it wasn't just a notch on the belt. You know, if you look back at a lot of my clients, I placed them in jobs 10, 15 years ago and they grew within the company. And so they became, you know, hiring authorities and, and people that actually would, would find people through me. And, and I think that that's why I stayed in the business. I retired from staffing last year and I went into branding and, and retooling of people's resumes and LinkedIn's. And I think it's because I see so many people that have great experience, but they don't know how to articulate it. Mm. That's a wonderful sort of mission of bringing people together, almost that sort of synergistically to try and bring that value together rather than just seeing it as a number and clearly having that sense of, intent has served you well uh, over that 21 years and just out of curiosity what got you into that in the first place what was it oh that's a funny story i'll <laughs> make it brief um honestly it was just fate um i was i was working for a fortune 100 brand um rather not say who not happy uh i started working for them out of college um and uh a coworker of mine was not happy either, and she was sending her resume out to different staffing, different companies, including staffing companies. And at the time, this is in 1998. You know, you have to remember there was no internet, no email. You you were faxing resumes, mm. putting them in the mail, et cetera, et cetera. And so this lady called me up and said she got my resume. She was a staffing branch manager for a staffing company, and asked me if I would come talk to her. And I thought she was calling me in to see more about me. So that she can market me to her clients. Well, in turn, she, she loved my personality on the phone. And so she brought me in secretly to pitch me getting into staffing. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't going to do it. It took me two weeks of her nagging me really? um, to, to convince me that it was worth the risk because it was 100% commission. 
And I I actually reconnected with her on my podcast uh, when I retired. Actually, I launched that. I posted that podcast the day I retired to thank her because I wouldn't have been so successful if it wasn't for her pounding me on my pager. Yes, pager. No cell phone. (laughs) Little device that we call it. Little little beeping noise on it, uh, so that she could um, uh, get me to come work for her. Wow, that's incredible. What a what a testament to her that she saw something in you, and perhaps you didn't even see it yourself. And um, yeah, that's amazing. That's brilliant. That's great to hear. Now you've got that wealth of experience and wealth of of success, which is great. And you know, and the reason I want you on the show today, I want to sort of delve into your expertise because we've had a, a year of, you know, it's been a terrible year in some sense, in sense of COVID. I mean, let's be real about this. But also some companies out there have done really well and have grown, you know, whether you're an online business or retail business and you are, you know, trying to get talent and uh, succession planning and, and build your business with people again. And the sub business out there, they've gone the other way and they're trying to sort of downsize. And But there's still recruiting going on, still hiring going on, and still a sense of we need people because whatever you've got, we need people to make our businesses uh, valuable and they are our greatest asset. So I really want to understand and, and help our audience. How, how do we, What are the sort of strategies from your perspective, from your experience for hiring in this time right now and being really strategic about it so what are your thoughts on that michael well good question i think there's a there's a lot to unpack there uh let me first by saying this i I, when i was in staffing for 21 years my clients loved me because i produced people fast and the number one way i did it was i used all my resources so I find that companies a lot of times will focus their efforts in, you know, one particular segment. Like they may be heavy on the job boards, maybe heavy focus on one job board, or they may be heavy on, you know, community um, uh, trade shows or, or career fairs, and, and, and that's been their focus. But I can tell you that's where most companies falter, is that they don't use all the resources that are out there and really kind of capitalize on all the tools. And so what I tell companies is your strategy should be one of broad nets, um, not narrow channels. And so instead of fishing with a fishing line, fish with a net, because you're going to get more fish and then you can determine what's the good fish and what's the bad fish. The the problem is I find that most companies, I use these fishing analogies and you have to, I have to apologize for that. I like the fish, but, um, most people, what I find, they throw one line in with a little bit of bait, thinking that they're going to get the great fish, and they end up catching a bunch of catfish first before they actually find the real fish. It, you know, it's all about, for me, in understanding the market, it's all about really um, uh, hitting all your resources at one time so you get the best results. Now, as far as to the other side of things, one of the things that I think that we forget about is organic development. Um, generationally, the baby boomer generation was the largest generation of our time. Uh, the generation after that was Generation Xers, which actually amongst the four generations that we've had, or now five, Generation Xers were the smallest of the generations. Mm. 
So one of the challenges a lot of companies are having now is even before COVID is that they had these a lot of very tenured folks that had a lot of great experience. And then they have this second wave of people that are only half the size. And so they're finding themselves having to dip, dip into a younger, greener pond of mm. applicants. And they don't want to do that. And they're worried that because they're greener, they can't be grown up or, or kind of like molded into what you need. Great example, a client of mine called me up looking for a candidate, gave me a list of requirements. Um, he had been looking for six months mm-hmm. and he couldn't find anybody. And so I went out to buy searches. And after three weeks, I actually found a guy that I could see his potential. Can you hear that dogs in my background? I hope not. You can't. Okay, sorry. Let's uh, keep going yeah, with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the door closed, but unfortunately, I can't stop it from barking. Um, but what I will tell you is, is that you know, I found this guy, and he wasn't quite a fit. He wasn't quite strong enough. Let's just put it that way. He was just below the the level of where he needed to be. And I called up the hiring manager, and I said, "Listen, I got this guy. He's a little bit lean. Blah blah blah." And he said, no, I need someone who's at that level. So what I did was that Saturday, I, I did a live podcast telling companies why they need to invest in people that maybe not exactly qualified, maybe that need to just be grown up a little bit, mm. and that what the rewards would be. Well, ironically, he listens to my podcast. And so he had listened to the podcast, called me that Monday, and ended up making the guy a making the guy an offer. So he had already interviewed the guy, but he was too light, right? In his mind, he didn't have any experience. And so when he saw my podcast and saw on how passionate I was about the fact that we have to grow our people, we have yeah. to take people that have that 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 what we know has the core capabilities and grow them up into a capacity where they will actually be able to do the job. And I think that's where a lot of companies make that mistake. They look for that purple squirrel. Was what we well, no, I, I agree with you. And, and it's it's almost hiring for a little bit of that for the aptitude, isn't it? So making sure somebody's got those core skills, which is important. Obviously, you've got to have some form of skills coming, not there at all. But then having that sense of a learning mindset. If you've got an individual who's got the sort of core things, they're willing to learn and willing to grow. And if you're a company wanting to invest – actually, you'll probably shape them and mold them into a better place than bringing somebody so-called off the shelf who's already got it all. And actually, they'll, they'll bring probably in some ways more value because they'll come part of the culture and start shaping things. So just go back to the, the broader net analogy, human the fishing here. So I guess I have two sort of conflicts with that. You think about broad nets, you get a load of trawler fishing because you get a load of fish in, a load of fish you don't want. And then you throw in a lot away and and then the sort of line fishing, which is a bit more precise and a bit more focused. And also how, I suppose, how, how do you sort of resolve that? But also, what do you mean by broader? Fishing? Well, so line fishing is fine, right? So let's talk about line fishing first. You can do line fishing, right? You can go out and be very particular of what you're looking for. The the strategy of doing that, though, is, is you have to be very good at marketing and branding what your company can bring to the applicant. Because you have to remember, there's 20 other fishermen in the pond, and they're all looking for that one fish. 
And if everybody's fishing after that one fish, it's whoever is most attractive. Yeah. So you can you can line fish all you want and go for the top dog, the number one fish that everybody's fishing for. But you've got to build a brand and build a, a, a uh, the an offer or a develop a program that's going to appeal to that that stellar guy, right? Mm. That amazing candidate. Um, the reason I say I hesitate on that is because when they hired me in my company, I had no recruiting experience, right? I joined a company where they had people that had 30 years of recruiting experience, okay? They had two models. We hire, we hire staffing guys that have been in the staffing business for a long time. We hire them at a higher rate, or we hire guys that have the potential at a lower rate and grow them. Yeah. I became the number one recruiter in my company in nine months. Wow. Now, if my company decided we're not going to go after the leaner and lighter fish, we're going to go after the big fish, then they would have lost $21 million in revenue by making a bad decision. Wow. So, so to go back to your point, the broader net. When I say broader net, I don't mean you know open the floodgates. I mean... We need to focus on looking at soft skills. You know, there's a lot of industries that are faltering during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. You know, brick and mortar retail is an example. You know, everybody's going to e-commerce. So a lot of these brick and mortar retail stores are actually downsizing and closing up shop. There are people in those stores that have been brick and mortar retail people for 20 years. And they're dying to mm -hmm. apply their skills to another line of work or another type of business. But if we're not giving them a chance to, if we're not looking at their soft skills, their raw talent, mm. then those people are going to stay unemployed. Yet we're still looking. I love a company that says I've been looking for six months to find somebody I can't find anybody. And then when you ask them what the things that they're looking for and they're describing it to you, they're thinking, there's a lot of types of people that have those skills. Why are you looking so narrowly in this particular type of business? Mm. And that's the problem. I'm going to use another great example. A company was looking for a CEO for a candy company, manufacturers candy, right? And they told me, I only want a candy guy. And I'm thinking to myself, why? So I asked them, what, do you, what, do you, what is the CEO supposed to do? And like any CEO, typical CEO responsibilities, it's not making the candy. <laughs> so I, I nodded. Okay, no problem. Let me see what I can do. Of course, I went out to try to find a candy person. But in counter aspect, I found a CEO out of another type of food manufacturer. And I brought it to them. And I said to them, I said, I want you to look at this guy. He's amazing. And they're like, no, no, no. He's not a candy guy. I said, give me a second. And I told them, I gave them three companies that I work with, large scale companies that make different types of products. And I said, let's look at their executive base and see where they came from. And none of them came from the same industry as that they were CEOs now. Mm -hmm. I said, so are you telling me that these three Fortune 100 companies are doing it wrong? They talked to my guy and two months later made him an offer. The point of that story is, is that we're in a time where we have to stop being so narrow. Yeah. 
We have to start looking at soft skills better. We have to start looking at a broader scope of people that we can train and develop. This COVID actually, as terrible as it sounds, COVID actually was a saving grace to a degree because we were getting into a point where we were so tight and people were so desperate to find people with a certain skill set that people were making obnoxious offers to candidates just to steal them. And that's not going to benefit your company long-term. It's going to eat into your profit margin. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's a matter of if you have a person, maybe they don't have this particular skill, but they have other skills that are applicable. Why can't we teach them that skill to bring them up to speed Mm -hmm. and create value? There's almost hiring more people who are, in effect, potentially generalist and more adaptable people who are more flexible and therefore... We know that COVID is, has created a mindset of flexibility, adaptability, because you have to, to, to survive. Um, I think it needed to happen anyway, this within the workforce, uh, and to make it more sustainable. So I guess if you bring people in who have got that ability to flex in different roles or be trained up into something else, it brings a lot more value to that individual as well, because then they're, they're engaged, they're getting training. And I guess... What, what are your thoughts then on, and just, just moving that forward in terms of looking more of a blended workforce where you have a mixture of perhaps permanent, freelance, gig type, sort of interim type approach? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's sort of starting to come now where people are, they're, they're progressing their business, and but they're not wanting to take a risk of investing a permanent, but they want somebody to come in to actually perhaps kick something off or they perhaps bring a freelance in for that expertise. And just what are your thoughts on the blended side of things? Uh, I think the blended side of things is great. The, the only so in the staffing business, we have this this thought process that you can always find a, a guy that's worked perm, in perm roles all their life and bring him in on a contract, but you can't always pull a contractor in that's worked contract all their life and bring him on to the perm side. There's a there's a huge difference between a perm employee and a contract employee. A contract employee has no investment in the company. They're there to do a project. If you're looking for them to do something black and white from A to Z and not add any other other value, yeah, absolutely. But I know there are a lot of companies that want people that are going to be invested. They want, want to add value and do things for the organization that will take them above that next level. But why would you do that on a six-month contract? Because you're not going to be around to see the fruits of your labor. So I do agree that contract labor is an option. Absolutely. Um, if you need somebody with a niche type of experience mm-hmm. that you're not going to find anywhere else, or you just don't have the funds to bring someone in full time, but mm-hmm. just know what you're not getting. You, when you hire a contract person or a temporary person, you're not getting loyalty. You're not going to have the... The, the person is not going to be is, is willing to go the extra mile mm-hmm. because they're not invested in the product long term or the company long term. And so I'm not a big fan. And when I say it's hard to take someone who's a contractor and make them perm because they don't like working for people. They don't like having bosses because they never had a boss. Their boss changes every three to six months or nine months or a year. So mm-hmm. they don't have to worry if they don't like the guy they're reporting to today. Well, he'll stick it out for the three or four months, and then he doesn't have to work for the guy anymore. But when you have a permanent employee, it's more about relationship building. It's more about yeah. teamwork. So I think that 
you'll find in companies where they have more freelancers and more contractors, there's not as much cohesiveness and synergy. Mm. No, and I agree with you. Though. And I think it's it's a needs must. And whether it's a an investment piece in terms of financial or it's a, a particular project where you need to bring that expertise that you don't have uh, is, is relevant. Um, you touched on it before about company sort of branding, really, and about attracting if you were line fishing and you are um, trying to attract those things. And we know I saw a stat from Glassdoor, the sort of, sort of recruitment sort of website, that 84% of job seekers um always consider uh, the reputation of a company so that uh, reputation and br- branding however you want to term it, it's the same thing how 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 do you think companies should be branding themselves that does, does attract people because fundamentally you it's not about just grabbing people it's attracting people isn't it attracting talent people want to work for you uh, what are you talking to your um clients in the, in the last sort of number of years how, how have you sort of helped them to create that sort of an attraction sort of strategy I think there's a few elements. One, people want to go work for a company where they feel like the company cares just as much as far as how their mental physical health is that as they are the company's mental physical health. So I think companies have to reflect that they are a people company um, that care about their people that want to create that balance, want to create flexible schedules, flexible capabilities. Um, And I think people are looking for that. I mean, you know, COVID did one thing. It gave people that want the work from home feature a much bigger platform to argue it. And mm-hmm. the good news is, is a lot of companies are finding out that people are more productive. Um, I went, I actually secretly started working from home back in 2015. I didn't tell anybody. No, I didn't work in the same office as my boss. My boss worked in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was kind of on my own, own uh, island, so to speak. Uh, the only people that knew that I was working from home were a couple people in the office. And I didn't tell my boss. And then my boss decided like later that year to make a surprise visit. I wasn't the only person he that he managed. He, he was the CEO. So everybody in the office was his. Um, but he made a surprise visit and he went to my office and there was a woman in it. And <laughs> he looked over at the, the branch and she's like, where's Michael? He's like, didn't Michael tell you he's been working from home for a year? <laughs> well, the, that it happens to be that year, my revenue had gone up 18%. Really? Wow. So when he called me to <laughs> call me out on it, and let me tell you, it was not a pleasant phone call at first. When he called me to call me out on it, my response to him was, sure, I'll come back to the office, but that's going to cost you $1,236,000. Are you okay with that? He's like, no, no, no. I'm just saying you should have told me first. <laughs> but at the end of the day, going back to the thought, is we have to create a, a brand. Companies have to create a, um, a presence on social media, on their website, that they have an environment where the people are part of the organization. People mm-hmm. are part of the success of the organization. And that's just not public, but also internal. You need to make sure that your employees know how they're impacting the company. The other couple things that I think are very important are social responsibility. Um, company, the younger generations today want to go work for companies that are socially responsible, period. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you should be looking at 
what what defines social responsibility in your country, in your local community, and really make sure that you're honing in on your public messaging when it comes to that. Mm. And then as you know, which has become a new global phenomenon, is diversity and inclusion. Yeah. And, and it's huge, ginormous, right? Absolutely ginormous. And I will tell you that companies aren't doing enough. They still aren't. I do a diversity and inclusion series on, on my podcast, and it's focused on helping companies understand how to do it better, how to create an environment where everybody's included, everybody gets has the opportunities, everybody gets promoted, everybody can grow. So those are kind of the biggest elements where a company can brand themselves better. Now, of course, you could throw all kinds of great benefits and unlimited vacation, bonuses, commissions, all that stuff. But it's interesting, the more millennials and Gen Zers I talk to, the mm. more I find their focus is not about the benefits, it's about the company culture. Yeah. And so you really have to build your website and your social presence around the culture and what it's like to work there. And I tell people all the time, if you're gonna put these social media pictures up uh, of your brands and whatnot, how about people working in the, facility and their smiles and, and making the products or the people on the street selling it to the customers and the excitement of maybe handing a, a candy cane to a little girl because she that's the product that she wants, right? Mm. It, it's those types of things that I think our younger generation are really more focused on mm. is how we're, how we're um, making people feel versus mm. the financial rewards that they know will come. Exactly. It's almost that's almost the the baseline, the financial bits, the benefits stuff, and um, I think more and more companies. Are, and I've had them on my show where I've had CEOs come on who then become a bit more of a personal branding exercise of demonstrating a little bit about who they are. And not only do they obviously through the audience I have, but also through the audience of their own work people will listen to that podcast and hear a bit more of the values and sharing and i think that's really important i think that branding piece for organizations as much as organizations are very good at branding products they need to think about how they brand themselves and create that mindset and, and obviously diversity is, is, is hugely you know i think a lot of companies are i would say doing it but doing it more in a tick box men's mindsets and not really truly embracing you know diversity inclusion um i'm not just saying just put somebody on the board who's you know, black, white, and all that type of thing. And it's more about um, making it more of a cultural thing and more of a, a real thing and allowing people to really grow in that sense. Um, just coming on to a branding piece, really, and it's, it's that whole interface now. We're in this world where people don't even meet people anymore. <laughs> so, so people will have an interview online. They'll meet a few people, I'm sure. And then they'll be sent to computer home and be working from home. I mean, how, that is that's a huge shift, and, and it's great in some ways. It gives massive flexibility, and but that's a quite a challenge from both a candidate point of view, but also from a company. How do we create that experience of a company and a candidate? And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, having had lots of experience probably in the last six months or so with that, I will I will tell you. I can give you a great example. I just worked with a client of mine who, when they bring people in for interviews, it's it's like an experience. 
not it's not just an interview. Like they they walk them through the the offices, they introduce in the people, they show them what they do. It's a whole process. And so she says, we feel like now that process is gone. And I said, well, I, I can tell you how to fix it. And they're like, how do you fix it? It says, create a video of what you would normally do when someone comes in for an interview. Mm. You create that experience. And then as part of the process, maybe post the, the first video interview, you send them a link to that video and it shows them you know, people working in their environments and the, the customer base and whatnot. It's kind of like an advertisement for the company, but in a mm-hmm. video. Um, they've started doing it and the feedback has been amazing. Um, she said that the candidates feel more excited because they actually see the kind of people and the culture there is. Yeah. It's not just staring at people in a, in a web box and not seeing what the surroundings are. So I think you need to bring the surroundings to them. Mm. So I would implore companies to to even dig into the old files of videos and start bringing some call your marketing department and say listen mm-hmm. i need a one and a half minute video that showcases who we are to work for mm. and let's make it happen and that may be done in segments you may have to do it remotely but at the end of the day creating that essence of what it would be like to work with our mm. team and that's what's going to get people to want to come work there. And so I do agree it's a challenge, but I also I think that people aren't thinking outside the box. Um, when I told them what what I when I told them what to do when I guided them through the process, the v, senior VP who was not on the initial call called me up and he's like, "I am speechless. Like this whole idea of a of, of virtual story about working here. I mean, people love it." I'm like, "Yeah." It's and it ties well in with with branding as well because it's it, it just completely links that whole thing. You know, you could have a a virtual you know of of the office of the of the, well, the production plant or wherever it is or whatever they do, and interviewing people. You could interview people in terms of you know various key people, a bit about who they are. The CEO could do a little bit of a an address as such. So there was one, one of the things, and one of the things they focused on also in their video was making sure that they showed all levels of diversity in their organization. Yeah. And so you can see the people that they incorporated in the video were all different types of people. Mm-hmm. I do want to touch on diversity and inclusion for a second because this just happened to me this past weekend. Um, a woman discriminated against me. She didn't want to hire me because she said that she wanted to focus on somebody who was diverse. Understand diversity is not a skin color. Diversity is a lot of different protected classes, a lot of different types of people. Mm. I told her in my response to her that I actually fall in two protected classes here in the US. So I'm multi-diverse. Um, that's important for us to remember. Mm. So you mentioned, you know, when we're talking about the board black and white. It's, it goes beyond color. Yeah, no. I mean, we have a we have a Republican um, senator of North Carolina who's in a wheelchair. We have never had a senator in our Congress that was in a wheelchair. That's diversity. Yes, absolutely. Um, people that you know are gay, they may be white males but they're still gay. That's diversity. 
um, uh, older people, you know, they say, you know, people, older people get discriminated all the time. That's diversity. So yeah. you have to, you have to keep in mind, open a bigger mindset to the fact that diversity is not just the color of one skin, but it's, it's a breakaway from the norm of every day and representing all different types of people. And so when they did their video, they had, um, they, they have a really big autism, autism program where they bring people that are autistic into the organization. So one of the supervisors that started as an hourly who has autism is now a supervisor. Mm -hmm. They had him on it. Um, you have to really open your mindset to all levels of diversity and really incorporate all levels of diversity. No, and it's, it's a good point, Michael. It really is because I, I think um, there's a lot of, uh, you call it unconscious bias in all of us in some shape or form. And, you know, just by the word diverse means, you know, diverse. <laughs> it's not just about, you know, skin color, gender is beyond all of that. And uh, and I think, you know, autism, I think that's a great example in terms of including all sorts of people who may have some challenges, but we can still provide ways of embracing them. And actually, you know, it's interesting turning that autisticness because I've got a child who's potentially autistic is um, into more of a positive of strengths of systematic, very focused very good at mapping things out, very good with sort of solution uh, proposal. So there's a whole host, let's look at the positives of something as opposed to just the negative. I'm touching in a whole different topic, but I will say this, the number one most, the greatest unemployed class of diversity in our world, ready? It's not what you're thinking, is blind people. Oh, yeah. Blind people have an 86% unemployment rate, Crunch. but yet, yeah, yeah, I know blind people that are accountants, that are IT programmers. Just because they're blind doesn't mean they don't have capabilities. And there are tools. There, there's actually companies that have developed tools that will allow blind people to do just about everything. Yeah. And so I think that we need to think broader when we're looking at our candidate base. And when we're developing a brand, you've got to make sure that you're representing everyone. Not just a hand pick of people, but everyone showing people that you're willing to accept all people. Yeah, no, that's really important and a valid point. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael. Um, we're coming to a close now, and I, I want to thank you for, for coming on. Thank you for the, the insights. Thank you for the conversation. Uh, how can people get hold of you if they want to sort of engage with you? Well, easy. Um, my website is michaelglinter.com. My last name is obviously on, a, on the screen or on the show, but um, the, the best way to email me is um, at michael at michaelglinter.com. Um, and you can go on my LinkedIn. Um, generally, I don't accept everybody. If you go on my LinkedIn, you want to add me, just make sure you note that you're adding me because of this live stream. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I give free advice all the time. Um, I, yeah, do I sell services? Of course, everybody sells services. But I am not somebody that doesn't, can't have a conversation with somebody and not charge. I'm not a lawyer. I don't charge by the email or the minute. Um, you know, for me, it's about helping people. And then, you know, if, if after me talking to you, you say, Mike, I want to hire you for something, fine. I don't care. But for me, it's about helping people. So for, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Um, I'm sure he'll put some notes in his thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm very open to all different types of conversation, whether you email me, social media, LinkedIn, whatever. 
Brilliant. Thank you. I will do, put that in the show notes. There will be lots of uh, connections or contacts for you, details. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. All right. You too. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.